0: Amen. Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I can't help but simply be thankful for all of you, for a place that for now we can call home, for a God that truly knows us, cares about us, that we can come together and worship together and throughout the week as we meet. Just simply thankful. I want to share a phrase with you that you've probably only heard in a negative connotation. When someone says to you or to someone else, you have to get used to your new normal. You ever heard that phrase in a positive way? It's always negative, your new normal. It's always after a tragedy or a loss where you lose a physical ability that you used to be able to do because you broke something and now you're 30 or more and it never heals the way it's used to apparently. Get used to your new normal, or a loss of a relationship, a tragedy, and you're told, this is your new normal. I don't like that phrase because it's always negative. So I wanna speak on a passage today that's going to give us a picture of a new normal that is coming and that will last forever and is certainly not something we need to dread, but quite the opposite, something to look forward to. But before we jump into the text, A little bit of background, so you know. Today is the fourth and the last Sunday for our mini-series called The Promises of God. And if nothing else, I hope that this mini-series has spurred us on to want to know what God's promises are. We've only talked about three of them. There's a lot more in scripture that he has told us are true, that we can cling to, that we can believe when the philosophies of men Fail, God's promises don't. And so I hope this series has spurred us on to know God's promises, to cling to them, and to draw us closer to the Lord. The last Sunday is today, and we're going to talk about the promise that God restores his people. God restores his people. And the passage we're going to look at is found in the last book of your Bible, Revelation, Chapter 21, verses 3 to 5. We're going to have the verses up here. If you happen to not have a Bible, would you find me, anyone you see on the stage, um, and, and ask for one? We can't give you one right now, but we want to, I want to get a feeling of people do need Bibles. We want to be able to have those available in the future. And there are a few in the back, um, so if you'd like one. Um, actually, you can just slip up your hand now if you'd like a Bible, and we will bring one to you. Getting confirmation on that. Okay, we're good. So we have have verses here behind to read along in Revelation 21, 3 to 5. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. What a promise that is. What a new normal we are going to experience starting on that day and then for eternity. (laughs) Within that promise that God is going to make all things new, I want to narrow my focus today on one simple aspect, one simple thing of all the things he's going to make new. I want to focus on one thing he's going to make new, and that's us. And a little bit more specifically... Our bodies, resurrected bodies. He's going to make us new. (laughs) And so here's the main idea for the message God is restoring and will restore his people. It has already started, but it will be finished once and for all on the day that we just read about. God is restoring and will restore his people. So here's where we're gonna go with that. First, let's talk about why we and everybody else needs to be restored. We're gonna go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. To understand the present, you usually have to understand something in the past. Why does everybody need to be restored? That's the first point. Secondly, we're gonna get a little bit more personal. Okay, here's why in general we all need to be restored. But currently, in your walk with the Lord, what do you long to be restored? We're gonna talk about our longing for restoration. And then thirdly and finally, the coming day of full restoration, and that's in the future, that we just read about in Revelation 21. So first, why do we need to be restored in the first place? And to understand our need for restoration now, you have to look back to the past. So we're gonna jump from the last book of the Bible to the first book of the Bible to understand how we got there. But before we jump back to Genesis, look again at verse three, where it says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He's promising this is going to happen in the future. Do you know that it used to be the case that the manifest presence of God was with his people in the Garden of Eden? And today we, we experience and we still feel that, that loss, echoes of Eden as I've heard it before. Wanting again to be in the manifest presence of God. It used to be that way. So we're gonna, we're gonna flip back to Genesis, we're gonna talk a little bit about life before the fall, the fall, and then life after the fall to make sense of why people need to be restored today, all of us. In Genesis one and two, life before the fall, we see God. Nothing before him, God simply existing in himself, the Trinity. And in his creative power, simply by speaking out of nothing, he creates the universe and all of life, everything we see and everything that we don't see. He created the heavens with all the stars and the planets. He created the earth. He created the seas. He created all of the creatures to fill the heavens and the earth and the seas. And at the end of his creating all of these things that we see and don't see, he said, it is very good. But he didn't say it was very good until he created mankind, until he created Adam and Eve. He said it was good until he created Adam and Eve, brought together Adam and Eve for the first marriage and said, this is very good. Creatures made in his image, from the dust with the breath of the divine, the breath of God making us both dust and divine, made in God's image, separate from the rest of creation. And God said it was very good. It was very good because humans had a perfect, whole, healthy, satisfying relationship with God, with each other, with other humans, with ourself, and with the world that God created for us to have dominion over and to be stewards of, made in his image, it was very good. Just get a little taste of remembering before the fall of what the Bible reveals about that. But then something very bad happened, known as the fall. You flip two pages to the right and you get to Genesis 3, and something horribly wrong goes with God's good creation. Another voice enters into the scene a voice that is contradicting God's voice to Adam and Eve and telling them that you should not trust. Did God really say you shouldn't trust the one that gave you this one negative command to not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? The lie was God doesn't really have your best interests in mind here. He's holding out on you. If you eat from this fruit, you will be like him. You shouldn't trust God. And through those temptations of the lust of the eyes, this looks good, the lust of the flesh, this is going to feel good, the pride of life, this is going to set me apart and raise me up above others, Adam and Eve gave in to the temptation. And if we think that we're any better, we buy those same lies, what, daily? That we know better than God, that we should be the ones to decide what's right and what's wrong for my life and maybe for the lives of those that I know and care about. We don't need God. We can make decisions on our own. That's, that's the ancient lie. He's holding out on us. And they believe it, and the fall occurs. And so life after the fall doesn't look the way it used to. We're still made in God's image, but it's a broken image. The world is still beautiful, reflecting the glory of God. But there's horrible evil in it. Life is replaced by death. You go one more chapter over, and the first murder takes place where an older brother murders his little brother. How do you think Adam and Eve felt felt about that? (laughs) Guilty. Yes, and very sad. The true word was replaced with a lie. Lasting satisfaction was replaced with futility and what often feels like meaninglessness. And we no longer have that Perfect, beautiful, satisfying, lasting, healthy and true relationship with God, with each other, with ourself, and with the world. It's distorted. And so enters the tears that we read about in Revelation twenty one that God will one day wipe away. The death, the mourning, the crying, the pain. But praise the Lord, he didn't leave creation and his people in that state. The effects of sin begin to take full effect. We read through it throughout the rest of Genesis and the rest of history. But fortunately, God acted immediately. He clothed Adam and Eve. He told them that through a descendant of Eve, through the seed of the woman, someone is going to crush that serpent's head. Someone's going to reverse those effects of the fall. There was hope which we know to be the person, the God-man, Jesus Christ. But to understand why we need restoration today and why people need restoration in general, we can't only look at our present circumstances. You can't only look at what's happened in your life and the advantages or disadvantages that you have or the country that you were raised in or the political system that's doing this or that. It's bigger than that. It is that, but it's bigger. You have to look back. God is restoring and will restore his people. We just talked about generally why we need restoration, but now let's get a little bit more personal. I want to talk about our longing to be restored. I want to talk about your longing, my longing, and then a few thoughts to keep in mind as we long to be restored. But first look at verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death will be no more. Neither will there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What do you long to be restored? What makes you long for the tender hand of God to wipe away the tears, and the mourning, and the crying, and the pain? I know it can be difficult to think about that question, to really dig into that question in your own life. And I know, I know many stories in this room. I have an idea of what a number of you would say to this question, but they're not mine to share up here. And I know there's plenty of stories that I don't know. And I know there's plenty of things that, with those of you I do know, I don't know the whole story, but he does. He knows what you long to be restored. But instead of trying to talk about your stories, it's not my place to do that, I am gonna talk a little bit about my own longing for restoration. You know, when you write something down and you plan on sharing it, and then you actually get to the thing and you don't really wanna do it. (laughs) for me, so I'm going to do it for you. It's, this is a Sunday morning, and the place to do, I love when we have the chance to get together after service and talk and real meaningful, deep like relationships can be built and conversations can happen. Normally on, on Sundays, we don't have the opportunity, and it's usually not the right place to dig into some of the deeper issues and hurts and pains that we experience there are there are good places to do that in our small groups, right, with people that, with us just <laughs> in our tribes and our small groups and all that. And I've done I've I've shared some uh, in my tribe, and I appreciate so many my tribe and my, my family, um, and you know. But sharing sharing what's happening I don't even know what I'm saying now. Sharing what's happening in our lives um, is a good thing, and um, when we do have the chance to do that. Together on Sundays, that's great, and I'm just thankful for the chance to do that throughout the week too. We don't have to, you know, unveil our whole lives in in on a in a, in a situation like this. However, um, I wanted to share a little bit just about my own longing to be restored, and I have. It's not the only issue I have. Don't don't put me in a box. But physical pain has been a personal mountain for me in my life, and. It started 10 years ago um, when I herniated two discs in my back, and it's been a struggle ever since. The worst of the pain was in the first two and a half years of what felt like pretty constant torture, not being able to sleep well, pain down the leg, at a time that felt like the worst possible timing when I was hoping at the end of that year, my senior year of college, to play the sport I loved for, for a job, uh, to play baseball. And that was just taken away like that with the injury. And I learned the people that really cared about me and the ones that didn't. Because when you really go through the fire, you learn who cares and who doesn't. And that hurt too. And the, the thought that that kind of pain daily, that kind of torture would not go away with psychologically challenging. So you see how these pain were we're mixed bags. It's never just physical and emotional and spiritual and psychological. It's all together there. But the first two and a half years was misery. And I knew that God could heal me. And I would cry out again and again and again. And I tried anything you can think of to, to help relieve the pain and it just, and nothing helped. And I simply wanted to share some of the verses that were spoken to me, given to me, either in a letter or someone just sharing with it, with it, those verses with me. Because when you're really in the fire, you, you remember the people, what they say, the ones that hurt, the ones that helped. And I'll tell you, scripture helps. Okay. <laughs> so I want to share with you three verses that were spoken to me during those two and a half years that have always stuck with me. The first one is in Isaiah 40, 30 to 31. It says, even youths will faint and grow weary. But they who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They will rise up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Next one is 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. It says, humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. In due time he will lift us up. And then 1 Peter 5:10. says, after you've suffered a little while, a little while, after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Okay, thanks, babe. I can do it. So, I wanted to share some of the longing to be restored, personally, and how he is restoring us now. Through it, he is restoring us. I'm grateful for how he's led my life so much through that pain. I wouldn't know any of you. I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have met Anna. I, I wouldn't, so much of my life would have been different if God didn't intervene in that way, which I asked him to do two weeks prior. Lord, if you want to change my life, do something, and that happened. Um, And so I'm grateful for how he's, he's led me. I'm grateful for many of you who have listened to me complain probably more than I would like to about this and the struggles that go along with it, and I still cry out to be restored, and that's okay. And I wouldn't be surprised. God is able to heal. I'd still, it's been 10 years. I don't doubt it. I know he can. I know that he uses our pain for a reason. Don't be afraid to ask God to heal you. And don't be afraid if he doesn't, to know that he doesn't, he's not holding something out on you. That same lie the serpent, the devil, the adversary has given, God doesn't care, God's holding out, it's not true. Don't believe it. Three, three thoughts to keep in mind as we think about our longing to be restored. The first one is, let's resist the temptation to compare. It doesn't help. When I think about people that I think they're not suffering as much as I do, all that does is make me feel prideful. That doesn't do anything, that doesn't help me. That only hurts, that only hurts me. When I think about people that might be hurting more than I do, I was reading some quotes from Joni Erickson Tada, a female Christian author that has definitely suffered more than I have. I know pain tolerances are different, but she has gone through far worse pain than I have. Read some of her quotes on suffering and waiting for God to be restored. They're beautiful. God has been restoring her from the inside her whole life. And it's. But comparing my pain with her doesn't help me. But listening to her, listening to, to other people's stories and their journeys, and being able to share mine without trying to compare... Let's resist comparison. Secondly, let's run to the restorer, not just for the restoring. We don't don't want to be a church that's only looking for the healing hands of God. We want to be a church that's looking for God, that's seeking God himself. Anything less, we're missing out so much. Whatever he decides to give or not give, we are going to be a church that pursues God himself, whatever that looks like. Let's commit to it. Run to the restorer. And then finally, remember, if God answered my prayer to heal me just like that, right now, that would be wonderful. But it wouldn't change the fact that there's going to be future pain in my life and that if, God, if Christ doesn't return in my lifetime, I'm going to die, and so are all of you. So when we're asking God to intervene in our life and to answer a prayer request that we really want that might be really good, that's great. But remember, that's not the end goal. It's not. He is. He's preparing us for our true and permanent home. And he's already doing it. Whether or not he heals us externally or something going on in our lives that we want healed, fixed relationship Whether he does that or not, we can know for certain that he is changing us. That's what sanctification is all about. He's changing us to be more like Jesus as he's bringing us home. 2 Corinthians 4 says, so we don't lose heart. Though our outward self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul says, therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. He's making us like Jesus. He's preparing us for it. It's already started. So, we talked a little bit about the general reason why everybody needs to be restored. A little bit about our own personal longing to be restored, and then finally, what are we looking forward to? It's what we read in Revelation 21, the day of full restoration once and for all, and that's in the future, a new normal that we can look forward to with new bodies given to us by God. He's gonna make all things new, new heavens, new earth, new us for good. Resurrected bodies. I want to read to you Philippians 3, 20 through 21 as we're thinking about about this focus on how he's going to make us new. Philippians 3, 20 through 21 says this, but our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. I want to read that again. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. And here's how I want to land this. I want to read to you a quote. It's a quote by Charles Spurgeon on this, on this verse. Here's what he says. Often we are racked with pain and unable to think or worship. We feel that this indeed is our lowly body. Our bodies humble us, and that is about the best thing they do for us. I want to say that again. Our bodies humble us, and that is about the best thing that they do for us. Oh, that we were duly lowly because our our bodies ally us with the animals and even the dust. But our Savior, the Lord Jesus, will change all this. We will be reshaped with a body like his own body of glory. This will take place in all who believe in Jesus. By faith, their souls have been transformed and their bodies will undergo such a renewal that they will match their regenerated spirits. How soon this grand transformation will happen, we cannot tell but the thought of it should help us bear the trials of today and all the woes of the flesh. In a little while, we will be like Jesus in the way that he is now. No more aching brows, no more swollen limbs, no more dim eyes, and no more fainting hearts. The old person will be no more a bundle of infirmities, nor the sick person a mass of agony like his glorious body. What an expression. Even our flesh will rest in hope of such a resurrection. Would you think about our new normal? When Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. Part of what he's saying is even the clearest ideas and thoughts and experiences we have in our relationship with God and with each other, kind of foretastes of the kingdom of God, of what's coming, our new normal, even the closest, most meaningful, most important most incredible experiences we have of God, of the love of God, of the power of God, of all of that is a dim reflection of what's coming. He will make all things new. And while there's many things in this life that we have to test to figure out if they're true or not, this is a promise. Verse 5 says these words are trustworthy, trustworthy, and true. In a world that you can't believe much, you can believe those words. We're gonna take communion, and remember how he accomplished this for us. Because Jesus broke his body to restore ours. Because Jesus was separated from God, we will once again be able to dwell with him the way that he designed us to in the garden but better than the garden, because that's always been his plan. Let's pray. Lord, I know that if we talked about this topic of restoration, if we went around and talked about all the ways that we long to be restored, we would never leave this gym. We have so many reasons to look forward to that day where you're going to make all things new. Where you're going to eradicate sin and the effects of sin, of mourning, crying, pain, and death, once and for all. Lord, for those of us that know you, that have accepted that free gift of salvation, knowing you died on the cross for us and asking you to forgive us of our sins that put you there, and to gratefully say yes for you to be our Lord and Savior, no longer trying to say we know the difference between what should be right or wrong in our lives, but looking to you as our Lord, our King. Lord, for us, for those of us who know you, I pray that we see freshly how you've already changed us. You've already made us new so that even when we're wasting away on the outside, you are renewing us day by day within, making us like Jesus. And help us, Lord, to pursue you, to grow in our faith together, to challenge each other, to encourage each other as we look forward to the day of restoration. And, Lord, for those of us in here who don't know you, but, Lord, I believe... Has seen clearly, probably time and time again, or maybe today for the first time, that there's something more. There's something much greater than what they've been pursuing, than what they want, than what they think life is about. And it's you, Lord. You're the treasure worth leaving everything else and pursuing. So, Lord, would you tug at their heart? Lord, drag them if you need to. And help them, Lord, to be willing to talk to somebody, to open up. Father, thank you for the hope of restoration. Amen.